Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me. There's two texts this morning, and the title of what I want to share today, Matthew chapter 25. Go to Matthew, and then we'll go to Luke a little bit later. Matthew 25. And the text I want to share today is, is again, uh, two parables. And these parables are practical. I'm just going to try to follow them really carefully. Some observations. Two parables, one point. Two parables, one point. I encourage you, I know there's a time change. Actually, you should be very alert this morning. Uh, because of the time change, that just really hone in if you can. Some of you are going to say, oh, I know this parable. I've read it before. Can I just encourage you to put on kind of like new lens and just open your heart to what God wants to say through this parable again? Some of you here have never heard this parable, never have, this is new to you, so this will be new. We'll go through it. It's very self-explanatory, I believe. It's not difficult. That's parables are stories that may or may not be real-life situations. But they're stories, may or may not be real-life situations, but they could be. And the story is meant to get across a point. The point is real. The point is true. And so these two parables that Jesus gives, one in Matthew and one in Luke, are really centering around a main point that I wanted to share this morning because this parable really has, has rocked my boat for some time. And it has, in many ways, framed me in the last number of months. Uh, I actually brought this parable up, and when we were together for a one-day retreat as an elder and and pastoral uh, retreat day, we spent a little bit of time on this one thing because, it again, it has framed me, and I think it's meant to frame us. This parable was given in the context. Again, a parable and a story may or may not be true, but it's a story that has true application. This was given as Jesus is in a number of dissertations about why we're here and what's the purpose. Now, this is particularly meaningful to me. I, I, I was planning to do this uh, before I went on vacate. But when I got word a couple of days ago about the situation of this funeral I'm going to be doing, it really stood out because Eric and my conversation revolved around purpose. What are we here for? What are we here for? He went missing for the last four months and again was found in the bush here in Aurora. What are we here for? We've got to really, we've got to, we've got to shake that tree until everything comes off of it. Because if we don't, it's on us. All of us do. So this, this is what Jesus, he's dealing with it, with this situation. Let's read the story. Matthew chapter 25, you have it there in front of you. Verse 14. It's called, mine says, the parable of the bags of gold. 14. It will be like a man going on a journey, Jesus speaking, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. The man, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold came also. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned... I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's talk about the parable. There's some things that I'm just going to make some observations. I'm not going to draw conclusions just yet. Some observations. Let's first of all talk, we're going to talk about the master. We're going to talk about, I don't know how to call these guys. They're not given names. I'm going to call them the five-bag servant, the two-bag servant, and the one-bag servant. Okay? Let's talk about the master. The master went on a journey for an undisclosed amount of time. We know the master had wealth because he had money to give and he had servants to give it to. We know the master knew his servants well enough to know their abilities. He returned after a long time. So he was gone for a long time and in that time no word was heard from him. When he returns, we know he settled accounts with them. To one he said, the five bag, he said, well done, he's speaking encouragement, faithful servant. He was put in charge of many things, that servant, and he would share in the master's happiness. To the two bag servant, he said, identical. He said, well done, faithful servant, he was put in charge many things. He shared in the master's happiness. To the last servant, it changes here. He called him wicked. He rebuked him. He took the little money he had given him and gave it now to the ten bag guy. He was a five bag, but he now had five more. He's a ten bag. Now he's an eleven bag guy. 
He gave it to the leaven bag guy and called the one a worthless servant and had him thrown into outer darkness. Let's talk about the five-bag servant. The five-bag servant took the five bags and invested it in five more. He, when the master came back, the master put him in charge of many things and commended him and he would enjoy the master's happiness and at the end he got an extra bag. Two bag servant. He invested it, got two bags more. He was put in charge of many things, was encouraged, he was commended and he too enjoyed his master's happiness. Some observational points now. Here's some points I want to draw. Number one, the master does not equally divide his resources. He did not equally give them. Is that true? He did not equally, the master does not equally divide his resources, but divides them as he chooses. Observation number two. Although the master does not equally divide the resources, but divided, divides them as he chooses, nevertheless, each servant is given something. Everyone got something. So I have a question. I pause here because I want a reflection point. If I was to ask you, if the master was to ask you, how many bags, if the master were God, how many bags would you say God has entrusted you with? Remember, everybody got something. But they didn't all get the same. So if you were to turn to the person next to you, and you don't have to do this, but if you were to turn to the person next to you and to say, I think I may what bag, sir? How many bags would you say? I want you to come up with a number. How many bags do you think God has entrusted to you this day? What bag, servant? You're saying, well, I don't know how to calculate that, and that's fair. But if you were to guess... What has God entrusted you? Looking at your life, looking at your circumstances, where you live, your background, who you are, your strengths, your giftings. What bag servant are you? It's kind of fun. Just to put a number on that. I'm not going to tell you my number. I'm not asking you for your number either. But I do want you to come up with a number. How many here have come up with a number? Raise your hands. Okay, the rest of you, work hard. Come up with a number, Okay. How many bags do you believe God has entrusted to you? Well, let's continue on. Some observational points. Master doesn't equally divide his resources, but he gives every servant something. Three, the master does not tell them how to handle their money. Doesn't tell them how to handle it or what to do with it. He didn't. And isn't it funny because we want to be told every detail of, well, what do you want me to do with it? But he doesn't tell us. Okay. Um, and so the question begs, why is that? Why didn't he tell them what to do with it? Wouldn't it have been easier that maybe that one servant who didn't do well in the story would have done better if he had been told he doesn't really know what to do with it. I mean, it was confusing after all. Continuing on. The master distributes it each according to their ability. In other words, the master didn't give them more than they were capable of managing. Listen to this. Each one was effectively positioned to succeed. All of them. Every servant was positioned to succeed. 
I think we can rotate back to that question. Why didn't the master tell them what to do with it? Because of that. Because he gave, he knew them well enough that he gave it that they didn't have more than they could handle. Said that. They didn't have more than they could handle. So it wasn't that they got something that was misfit for them. They got exactly what he planned for them. And each one could have succeeded. 100%. All of them could have done it. So I think that's why there wasn't a standard set and it wasn't why he spoke exactly what they were to do with it. I'm going to say it all again. He distributed each according to their ability. That's a quote. Each according to their ability. In other words, he didn't give them more than what they were capable of managing well. Each was effectively positioned to succeed. Fifthly, after a long time, everybody say long time. Now, long time, that means it's usually past your comfort level. It's beyond what you thought. Didn't say how long, though. You see all these little mystical things in here. It's not about the numbers, but a long time, he returns. He comes back. He asks for an account. Those faithful were entrusted with more, and they were invited to share in the master's happiness there on in. Some observational points. Can we go to this parable number two? I want to link these together. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Let's look at parable number two. Luke 19. And it's a similar parable, but it's not the same. Luke 19, verse 11. If you have it there, would you follow along with me? Now again, we do actually have notes. There's notes made at the back here uh, available for you to, if you haven't already picked them up, you could even go and pick them up. There's some on the info center. Um, I encourage you to make some notes because these will come. Now, this is actually recorded, so you can pick this up on podcast or you can download it again. But uh, these observational points, I think, can be, can be life revolutionary. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Let's, follow, let's go. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. He was nearing Jerusalem. The people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So here's the parable. He said, verse 12, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to be our king. 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small, in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, did you, 
that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here, kill them in front of me. Happy ending. Okay, not really. Let's look at the second parable. Parable. Some observations, and I want to draw some observations. There's some Noticeable differences between these two parables. Let's look at some of the differences. Number one, the second parable in Luke chapter 2, or Luke chapter 19, the person here is a man of noble birth. First one wasn't. He's a man of noble birth. Means he's a man of nobility. He would go off, probably his dad was a king. Second thing, which means he went to be appointed king. That didn't happen in the other parable. In this parable, there are ten servants, not three. Ten. And in this parable, each is given one minus. They're given equal amounts. All ten, one mina. By the way, one mina is about three months' worth of wages. In this parable in Luke, they were told what to do with it. The first one, they weren't. In this one, they were told, here's what they were told, put it to work. That's all they were told. But they were told something. Put it to work. Servants in this parable different than the first one, hated him, and they would send a delegation after him saying they didn't want him returning as king. However, king he became, and king he returned. In this parable, the first servant gained ten more minus, and this servant was given not bags of gold, not minus, this person was given cities. They now were given Ten cities. They had one mina. They invested it. Now they have ten. They are given ten cities. And the second servant gained five minas. The master answered him in the same way he answered the first one, but he was now in charge of five cities. Another servant put the minas, the three months' worth of money, into a cloth stating he was afraid of this man, he was afraid of this heir to the throne, and he stated that he was afraid of him because he's a hard man. He's a man that reaps what he didn't sow. I mean, what does that make him then? Next, the master judged him by his own words. So the master in this thing says, by your own words. He called him wicked because he says, I expected at least interest on the money. And like in the first story, the master gave what was his to him who had the most. Tracking or following? Those who didn't want him to be king died. Probably a horrible death at the end. Now let's draw some points out of this. Here are the points. This scenario reinforces in Luke some things out of Matthew's story. Here's, I believe, our take-homes. 
First, um, okay, I got some, uh, I'm going to come to the take home later. I just want to make a point first. First of all, I want you to note each servant was not, each servant was measured not in comparison to the other, but by their own God-given abilities. Now, here's the thing. We have a natural tendency to compare ourselves. We look to somebody else and compare ourselves. It's, it's natural, but it's not God's way. And in this, the servants were not measured compared to the other person, but according to what God saw in them. What does God see in us? That's why it's important to understand, what has God invested in me? What does he see in me? The more I understand God, the more I behold him, the more I behold me. And the more I behold me and understand me, the more I begin to behold what God has invested into me and who I am. And in that, now I have mission. I have mission and purpose to life. A void of that, I will wander and go according to either how I was brought up, either to how I have a dream, or I will go to whatever the perimeters might be, but they may not be the accurate perimeters I need to guide my life by. In this situation, they are compared to their own God-given ability. And in both these parables, it's a test that is necessary to attain or ascertain a level of responsibility in which they would be entrusted. In other words, they would get, they would receive, they would live out their life based on this test. What God blessed them with, what God endowed them with, was based on a test. It's fair to say. And in both these cases, the master intended to administer greater opportunity and privilege. In other words, he didn't expect at the end of the test them to have less than when they started. When he started the test, his whole goal and ambition was that they would be blessed and succeed and be a blessing. That's all he ever wanted. His purpose was that they would receive bountifully more at the end of the test. Opportunity and privilege awaited them, but the test stood in the way. The second thing that I want to draw is that these parables assume people are not the same. Now, I've had, I've had pushback on this one. People are not the same. They assume it. Although, although God does create all of us equal, we are mistaken to conclude that we are created the same. Now, let me give some illustrations on this. I want to ask the question. How many here would you consider that you are good in mathematics. Don't be afraid. Put your hand up. You're good in mathematics. Now, just as many hands went up, I'm going to assume if your hand didn't go up, it's not your strength. How many here, raise your hand, you're good in English. You're good in English. Actually, more hands went up for that one. Thank you. But some hands did not go up because you would say, I'm not good in English. How many here, um, you're good with a paintbrush or a sketch pencil. You're good at drawing or artistic stuff. You're good at that. How many are good at that? Raise your hand. God bless you. My hand doesn't go up for that one. Okay. Thank you. How many here, you would say you're, you've got musical skills. You, you're good at music, either instruments or vocally. You're good at musical skills. Raise your hand. Okay. Not wannabes. Okay, actually good. Okay. Okay. So that's the point here. The point here is that we're not all created the same. We're created equally. We're created equally. But we're not all created the same. 
people have different, here it is, different capacities. We're created with different capacities. We've got to know that. That's the uniqueness. That's the wonderful part of family is we're created with different capacities. I don't know why, but it's just the way God created us. I'm glad he did, though, really. I'm disappointed that I didn't get certain things, but I'm glad he's created us with different capacities. Uh, in the parable, it says this, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. So I have four take-homes today. It's a four-point. Four, four take-homes are very quick. Four take-homes. Take-home number one. Here's the big take-home number one. Small stuff matters. Do you see that? Small stuff matters. The master began all of this with entrusting his servants with small stuff. Inconsequential it might look. Small stuff. The little stuff. But at the end of the parable, they're running cities. Do you see it? Little stuff. Three months worth wages. Inconsequential. Based on that, they're running entire cities. Ten cities. Based on three months wage test. To see how they're going to do with the small stuff. So my point, my big take home in this. Big take home number one. Small stuff matters. Would you say it with me? Yeah, small stuff matters. Hmm. And when they proved themselves with the stuff, they were given people. When they proved themselves with things, he granted relationships, leadership, based on the small stuff. How they served exposed how they would lead. Do you see it? How they served the master exposed how they would become a leader themselves. I remember somebody telling me, and I was so thankful when I was in my first church situation, struggling with, with a lot of stuff, 21 years old, lead pastor, and just, you know, nothing's happening right. And, and somebody came into my life, I don't know if it was that, maybe a few years after that, they came into my life and says, you make sure you serve someone else's vision well, and not just try to serve your own. Serve the vision you've been given, and then God will reward you based on that. We always want to do our thing. But if you are serving under, you serve that one well. The small stuff well. Serve the small stuff well. How they served exposed how they would lead. So big take-home number one. Small stuff matters. Here's my big take-home number two. God is looking for faithfulness and trustworthiness above everything else. Wow, that's worth writing down. God is looking for faithfulness and trustworthiness above everything else. Faithfulness and perseverance. Faithfulness. You don't have faith if it happens right away. You pray and it immediately happens. It didn't require faith. Faith is when you don't see it happening. Faith is when you go to, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 and it doesn't happen. Long times pass by with the small stuff in your hands. Faithfulness. What are you doing with it? What are you doing waiting for that, wind, that windfall? What are you doing waiting for that next great break? What are you doing with now? You're in school. You're unemployed. You just had a child and you're at home and you're raising that little child and you haven't gone back to work. You may not go back to work. You, what are you doing now? You're a single person. What are you doing with it? 
What are you doing as a, wing, as a widow or a widower? What are you doing with the now? Not the was, what will be, what the now is. Wow. Faithfulness is about perseverance. And perseverance is the ability to remain faithful for the duration. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter if it lingers beyond my comfort zones, beyond what others have told me that I need to quit and go another vein, another direction. I persevere no matter how long it takes. And trustworthiness will persevere to the end with pleasure. With pleasure. Not begrudgingly. Not with attitude. Not with issues. But with pleasure. We'll persevere to the end and find pleasure in the master's return. So, big take-home number two. God is looking for faithfulness and trustworthiness. Big take-home number three. Has to do with the other servant. Everybody say, the other servant. Okay. Now, this is the part that perplexed me the most in this story. I'll tell you why. Both parables talk about the other servant. You can't ignore the other servant. As a matter of fact, a lot of the point of the parable is about the other servant. Both accounts describe this servant as having done nothing. Both gospel accounts describe this servant as having an improper view of the master. They think they know him, but they actually don't. Both of them account for that. They both conclude the master was a hard man. They both said that. He was a hard man. Different interpreters offer different suggestions in that, but I don't think we have to go any... Okay, a hard man, but they go further. They believe he's actually a thief because both of them say he took what wasn't his. He profited from what he didn't put into the ground. They both believe that. They believed he was a thief in both accounts. Call it what it is. You just called him a thief. And they both claimed they were paralyzed by fear. Fear played into both parables. Fear, fear, fear. Which led them, fear led them to hide what he gave them. Out of fear, they hid their capacity. And here's the thing that got me. Now, this is the part that shook me. That didn't so much. Here's the part. And the master called them Lazy and wicked. Okay. Lazy I get. Okay. I can understand lazy. The guy who did nothing with what he's given, he's lazy. The guy who didn't get up and do the work, he's lazy. The person who had expectations and they didn't follow through, yeah, they're lazy. I get the lazy part. This person was lazy. He did nothing with what he was given. All that time, and we know time went on. We don't know how much. Time went on, time went on, time went on. He, did, he was lazy. He had opportunity upon opportunity, and he blew it. He was lazy. Okay, he's lazy. He knew the master was returning at some point. The master said he would. He did nothing about it. Lazy guy. But that's not just what the master called him. Both incidents, the master called him what? Wicked. Wicked. Master called him wicked. Now, when I think of wicked, I think of something pretty extreme. I think of a sinful act as wicked. At face value, this guy, these servants, 
They lacked foresight. Yeah, they lacked foresight. They couldn't see beyond their own nose. I get that. They were not industrious. No, they were not industrious. They didn't know what to do with what was given to them. Okay, I give that. They were passive. Yes, they were passive. Paralyzed by fear. Okay, paralyzed by fear. But wicked? Wicked? I mean, if these servants had hired an assassin to kill the master, then they're wicked. But they didn't. They just did nothing. And yet they, they were both called wicked. That's the part that has slapped me in this parable. In other words, here's the point. God views negligence of human capacity different than you and I do. You see that? He views negligence of our capacity different than I view it. The servant is called wicked up against what he should have done. Up against what was expected, and he didn't. That's wicked, God says. Now, to me, I wouldn't call that wicked. I would call it, he threw away his talent. He didn't invest. He, you know, wasn't very smart. But I wouldn't have called it wicked. But God does. The master does. And we have to line up to his way, not our way. And the world has offered something that I think too many times the church ought not buy into. We've got to see how the master sees it. And when God has given us the gift of life and he's invested in every one of us being capable of a capacity according to his plan and we do not use it, we are wicked. Not just lazy. Not just missed opportunity. Not just whoops, you didn't do anything in life. Not at the end of life, you didn't have a great legacy or, or an epitaph at your funeral. Not that. You were actually wicked. He calls us wicked when we haven't fulfilled my capacity. Now, don't compare your capacity with the person beside you. Don't compare your capacity with somebody you see on television. Based on that, are you full and fulfilled and Moving in that capacity, are you to the fullness of what he has given you? If not, the servant is called wicked up against what he should have done. If you look at it this way, most of us think of human talent. Most of us think of our giftings in a category that, well, if we use them, we add value. If they do not achieve, if that person, if I do not achieve, if I don't live up, if they don't live up to their value, that's too bad. But it's not wickedness. But God doesn't see it that way. When we, when I neglect God, my God-given capacity, I, in essence, have refused to maximize what he saw in me when he made me and the potential of what he has given me to do. I refuse to do it. I've stood and squared off and said, I will not do it. That's what's happening. And he says, you have risen against your maker. Who knew you could be this? And the blessings are all yours. Remember, the blessings are all theirs. But you chose to turn against him. Wow. He says, that's wickedness. I wonder, how might it change the work of the church, the work of us believers, Christians, if our measure of effectiveness, our measure of effectiveness was not against how little sin we committed, but against how much good we are accomplishing. That your effectiveness is not about how bad you are, but your effectiveness is about how much good are you doing. He's not looking at what you didn't do. He's looking at are you accomplishing something for the kingdom. 
To say we can't do the work of the kingdom is to say, God, you're a liar. And we contradict everything about him. To say we can't do it. I'm not, I can't do it. To every one of us, God has given a talent. Wow, that's a big take-home number three. It's a big take-home number three. Big take-home number four. Although we are not equally gifted, that serves as no limitation to being kingdom productive. And this is most critical here. Is the process of how the master takes the talent from the wicked and gives it to who? The one who had gained the most. You see how that worked? Why? I mean, we would say, he's already got a lot. As a matter of fact, in the second parable, that's exactly what they, he's already got a lot. Why don't you divide it equally to those who've invested? I mean, that's what I would have thought too. But the master actually explained it. He said it this way. For everyone who has will be given more. And he, they, will have an abundance. Because they let their capacity dictate it. Their capacity. It's totally up to them. They let their capacity dictate. And God says, now I invest my treasures with you. Those who are the most faithful will find expanded roles in the kingdom of God. That's my, that's my conclusion. Those most faithful will find expanded roles in the kingdom of God. Doesn't that make you excited to be workers for the king? So here's my conclusion. Eight points for my conclusion. I'm done. I'm going to sum it all up. Number one, don't compare yourself with others, but each is being tested with what you presently have today. Number two, God knows your capacity and has not given you beyond what you can invest it in. You are positioned to succeed. Number three, great opportunity is before every one of us. Number four, small stuff matters big time. The stuff matters. Number five, perseverance is the ability to remain faithful over a long time period of time. Six, wickedness is tied directly into our negligence to fulfill that capacity. Seven, how might it change the work of the church if the measure of effectiveness is not against how little sin we're committing, but how much good am I doing these days? How much good? What's the measurement to that? And lastly, those who are most faithful will find expanded roles in the kingdom of God. Aren't those two, two little parables? One big point. One big point. Father in heaven, your word, I pray, will not return void. I pray that as we, this is something I've chewed on over and over, and I'm sure I've just scratched the surface. But God, I pray that here in this family, here as we listen to this, that Lord, that stirs all of us in some way. And God, in what area it stirs us, I pray that we will not resist, that we will not line up with wicked servant, but that God will say, God, if you've invested, if you see something in me, God, I want to go all out for it. And that, Lord, we make it our life, our life ambition to do just that, that the kingdom of God would be realized through us. Lord, it's not about getting cities. It's not about leading teams. It's about 
the capacity you see in us that we may and probably don't see in ourselves, that, Lord, we would just have faith to believe that, God, you are good, and that, Lord, you've, again, positioned us to be a blessing and to bless others. God, make us people of goodness, not people who are simply avoiding sin, but people who are doing good, who are doing kingdom stuff, and that, God, if you see it in us, Far be it from us to say it's not there. That, Lord, we say yes. I pray that 100% of us, Lord, I realize that's probably not going to happen, but I pray 100% of us will embrace a brand new yes to our involvement in kingdom life ministry. In Jesus' name. And if you can say yes, would you say yes? Yes. I could do that again. I know you're usually ready to say amen. If you can say yes, would you say yes? Yes, yes to God's word. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.